0: When I conclude my prayer, please, uh, if you're in agreement, please offer up an affirmation of some kind. Father in the heavens, we appeal to you as as uh, disciples of Yahshua always, coming to you in his name and clinging to his righteousness. Only you know, Father, um, uh, how much help I need today on this topic, on this presentation. For those things in in this material which uh, you approve of and you endorse, please Feed those bits and morsels to each of the saints here, and even those who are young and are contemplating baptism. Grandfather, that your truth goes forth, and that uh, every error on my part is overruled by the spirit of truth. Committing this entire activity into your hands, we pray always in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I'm Brother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. The title of my remarks today is Yahshua's Truth Movement. Well, let me get some nice things off my chest. I sure cherish the music ministry here and those special offerings. My goodness, I'm going to leave this feast with some golden memories. Looking ahead to the night of special music, after I get this sermon behind me, I'll be running around for the next few days with a clipboard like this, asking you all to sign up for that night of special music. And um, I once had a year where a number of people bowed out, and uh, we missed you. We missed you. Don't ever think they're tired of hearing me. I don't want. To, I know. Don't, don't don't think like that. We will never tired of hearing you. Here's the outline for the material I have today. Opened with a parable and riddle about knowing the truth. You're going to have a fun riddle and parable here. I'm sure you're going to like it. And I'm going to talk a little bit about modern truth movements. I'm talking about socio-political activity. I've got to do it in such a way that I do not, uh, I do not offend I've got to be careful not to offend. I've got to be careful not to stir up something. This is not the place to um, stir up controversy. I'm here to unravel complexity and make things simple. But still, I've got to touch upon some of that stuff anyway. I beg you to trust me. Okay, it's going to get real spiritual toward the end. It's going to get very thick, very heavy. Uh, many of you have come a long way. You're going to be challenged. You're going to get a nice payoff for your long trip here to the feast. We'll explore motives and scenarios. And then we're going to do a focus study on one particular uh, issue right now in, in the body of the nation. And we're going to use that as a stepping stone to discover Yahshua's truth movement. Because Yahshua has a truth movement of his own. Okay, here we go with the parable riddle. We've got four strangers on a train. And... Uh, You'll see a lot of images here. I found a place to get free images, free photographs with with themes and, and that. It, you have to be careful, though. It's pexels.com, but pexels has to be spelled just right. P-E-X-E-L-S. P-E-X-E-L-S.com. You can't be spelling it P-E-X-L-E-S.com. That leads you to a web page that says... Let us please first test your browser. And when you click on it, it's malware. Okay, now, I didn't click on it, by the way, but you got to spell it right. Anyway, I will be doing attribution for my photos, because I'm getting from there and other public sources. We open with this uh, train here. It's an old, grimy, smelly railway train in Eastern Europe. Let's go back in time. It's the height of the Cold War. In many nations, such as Ukraine, Poland, and East Germany, they resent their occupation by Russian forces. Here are the four players on the train. It's a single compartment. They're all kind of looking at each other on this uh, uh, one compartment within the train. The first player is a sweet grandmother, a sweet German grandmother. She has no agenda. She's minding her own business. She just wants to get on with her trip. Player number two is a lovely Ukrainian lady. Now, here I've uh, summoned a fo- public, publicly available photographs of Madame Yulia Timoshenko. Maybe you've heard of her. She's a dynamic uh, former prime minister of Ukraine. She's a remarkable lady. And the funny thing is, uh, every, every time I see a picture of her, she's dressed modestly. Uh, she seems to be from that old school Well, this lovely Ukrainian lady, she just doesn't want to be on this ride. Let's just say that. Just like the Germans, she resents the Russian occupation. Also in the compartment is a proud Russian military officer. Now, let's get something straight about this tough guy. He doesn't seek respect and admiration. He demands it. And the fourth player is a a Polish nobleman. Played by <laughs> played by a nobleman who bears a striking resemblance to me, <laughs> Maybe we poles all look alike, huh So they're on this compartment, and the it's just so monotonous and and all that. Well, the train passes through a three minute tunnel in which uh, which everyone has been through many times. They all know this tunnel's there, and at the midway point. In complete darkness, you hear two sounds. You hear a loud kiss, and you hear a loud slap. What happened? As we emerge from the tunnel, no one is talking, and the Russian officer has a red welt on his cheek. What happened? What's the truth? In order to find the truth, we're going to have to drill down into the brains of these four people and find out what they're thinking. First, the sweet German lady, the grandma. In her heart, she says, good, good. She got that Ruski really good. Well, her assumptions are reasonable. She figures this proud Russian officer leaned over and kissed the Ukrainian lady in the dark. But she got him good. But now let's go into the mind of the Ukrainian lady. She's wondering, why did that Ruski kiss the grandmother and not me? What's going on here? What's the truth? Let's go into the mind of the proud Russian officer. He says, This is unfair. The polyak kisses the girl and I get slapped. What happened? By the way, the Polish word for Polish man is Polak. It's, it's not an ethnic slur. And the Russian word for Polish man is Poliak. Well, we're going to come back to this riddle with the solution in a bit. And uh, it'd be, it's a good thing for you to turn it around in your mind, try to figure out what happened. Very mysterious. We have situations in our world right now which puzzle the senses. Sometimes our hearts ache for the truth behind alarming developments on the national scene and the international scene, sometimes even our own neighborhoods. Why are people behaving the way they do? Often it just makes no sense. Common sense tells you, no, no, that should not happen. Example, why are some crimes punished brutally? The cancel culture. If you go seven miles over the speed limit, they take you to the rack. The perpetrators of greater injustices go unpunished while their companies, or corporations, take the hit. I'll give you an example. One example of many, many, many. In 2011, J.P. Morgan was foreclosing on the wrong homes and evicting innocent families. Only U.S. military personnel were compensated in the $56 million settlement. But leaders of that corporation should have been nailed. They're the ones who should be fined heavily, thrown in jail. I think they should have been caned in the town square. The average um, head of household works furiously to keep the roof over the head of their family. Imagine being evicted on a fake foreclosure, something that was instituted by a, a, a computer, and nobody cares. Everything's on autopilot. Now, this was taken from a webpage called whiteoutpress.com. You can look for the title, The Outrageous List of J.P. Morgan Crimes and Settlements. There's a nice, meaty list of crimes like this. In every case, the corporation is fined, but not the corporate leaders. Excuse me. Let's go to uh, another one. Why are we pressured to get a vaccine and maintain social distancing, even in churches, but rioters, looters, and countless immigrants at the border experience no such demands? Here we have some images from um, some headline news, like in the middle of 2020, where uh, protests were drawing large crowds. The cops couldn't contain them. But nobody said, uh, oh, have you been vaccinated? Or It was too soon for the vaccine, but... uh, there was no concerns about social distancing or um, contagion. Likewise, at the, the border crisis right now, we continue to have a large crowds of people, no regard for uh, vaccines or social distancing. But you and I are pressured to toe the line. Why? Why are so many women coming forth with claims of sexual assault years after the fact? while little children are exposed to sexually explicit material in schools and libraries today question if the right to privacy is important enough to justify abortion what is that st- ladies room don't the ladies deserve privacy why do government appointed officers ordained by heaven to protect us act so often against us see someone's coming up with water thanks so much I'll be be clearing my throat a lot I'm not sick friends Uh, thanks brother Javon saw a a news item a terrific news item a a policeman uh, made a public statement saying do not tell your children that if they're naughty you're going to call the police he said we want the children to see us as members of the community out to serve and protect you that's the right theme. You should see the local policeman in a local restaurant. We should be able to say hi to him, even if he gave you a parking ticket last week. What's going on? What's the truth in all these things that puzzle our senses? The parable of the railway compartment is a puzzle. You don't know what happened until you get all the facts. All we know is we heard a loud kiss, we heard a loud slap, and the Russian officer has a large bruise on his cheek. We turn to the Polish nobleman to get the facts. It's the sinister Polish nobleman who has the facts. Let's recap. The German lady is delighted to think that the Russian was slapped after he kissed the Ukrainian lady. The Ukrainian lady is wondering why the grandma got kissed. The proud Russian military officer is wondering why he got slapped when well, it was obvious it was the Polish guy who did the kissing. him. Like, they're all firing blanks. The secret is in the perpetrator. He says, am I a happy Pole? I kiss my hand, I slap the Russian officer, and I get away with it. How many guessed that that outcome? Nobody guessed that outcome. Oh, good. Okay. People like the sweet grandmother think they have a reasonable take on what is going on, even though they don't have the facts. There are people in the world right now who think they know what's going on. They have reasonable conclusions, but they don't have the facts. You can't blame them. They've been fed lousy information. The Ukrainian lady also thinks she knows what is going on, but she has a, uh, serious questions which she will never be able to answer. Some people got everything, everything, a nice, tidy theory on what's going on out there. Others are unsure, like this Ukrainian lady. Then the victim, the victim only knows the consequences. He is puzzled too. Often we are the victims of. Um, Evil, created by institutions that we used to rely on, and those institutions let us down. And all we know is the consequences. We start to wonder, is there something going on behind the curtain, behind the scene, to cause this? Our lives are filled with this stuff. Then there's the sinister polyak, the perpetrator. He knows everything. He's at the control panel. We are often put upon to absorb puzzling headline events, terrorist attacks, bombings, riots, mass shootings, social upheaval, and we are urged to support public policy changes based on these events. But like most of the people in the railway compartment, we don't have all the facts. We're only just given certain facts. We only have certain facts, and we're pressured to react to them a certain way, aren't we? Our experience is much like those on the train. The perpetrator has caused division among the people on the dark train. Have you ever noticed there's a lot of division in the nation? I'd like to recommend a book to you called uh, one, nation Af- uh, one Nation After All. You've heard the expression one nation under G-O-D, right? Okay, this, was, this book is titled One Nation After All. And this guy did research and he found actually that people on the left and the right actually have very similar values. If they just had a few more facts, they'd probably come together. But the nation's being largely divided right now, isn't it? When the light shines again, the Polish nobleman is counting on their distrust to keep them from talking to each other. This is essential. The perpetrator operates in the dark. That's important, too. The true facts are largely unknown. Our quest for the truth about current events is encumbered by these same factors and more. We're going to take a quote from John three nineteen uh, to 21. This is one of my favorite passages. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that, that they are wrought in Yahweh. The word manifest means obvious. In my experience, research, and observation, um, I've noticed that people who go through great lengths to cover things up, they got reasons to cover things up. How many times uh, I've got examples of this in high places, where people should be accountable to the people accountable to society at large. They won't show up when Congress tells them to come in for for, uh, examination, for testimony. They won't answer the questions that is given to them by the press. Or they distort the truth. It bothers me deeply that there's so many decisions I have to make, and substantive important information is being held from me. I'm gonna introduce you to the truth movement. I'm not endorsing it, okay, that wouldn't be appropriate here anyway, but the truth movement. Some of you may have heard of the truth movement. Now here's my objective in bringing up this subtopic. I wanna give evidence to sensitivity, evidence of sensitivity on my part to the issues. I wanna also show that such movements and conspiracy theories have limits. Okay, conspiracy theories are often entertaining they're often informative, because people have done real hard research. Well, but they have limits to them, too. Now, the truth movement, as I understand it, originated with the 9-11 attacks, because there's things going on there that didn't add up. So you had the 9-11 truth movement. That was broadened in scope to include... Conspiracy theories about anything and everything. And they, they went all the way back to the JFK assassination. Well, good grief, I've been studying that since I was a kid. <clears throat> there's plenty of things to ask questions about there. But it soon became like an all-encompassing ball. And um, pretty soon everything became the, t- the object of a conspiracy theory. And now we're at a place where conspiracy theories at the truth movement has come to embrace alternate theories for bombings, assassinations, election outcomes, UFO phenomena, the weather, economic upheaval, failures within the news media, and health crises. That's an awful lot. I mean, these, these conspiracy wonks must be very busy creating conspiracies for all these. I'm, talk- I'm talking about those who may be doing these theoretically. Now either you have a whole lot of very busy people doing busy, uh, busy and damaging things, or else maybe this stuff in aggregate is too much for there to be so many conspiracy theories. But if you look at any one of these cases individually, you focus in on it and research them, you find, well, there's, there's, they ask some good questions. How do these things emerge? Why is it that every shooting, every bombing, everything's got a conspiracy theory behind it? Well, here are some of the reasons. I can't cover all of them, but in part they are triggered by seeming discontinuities in logic for the official story. Sometimes there's violations in procedure for chain of custody for evidence. When I give you examples, I'll be giving you examples of things that everybody has agreed on. Big name players go unpunished. I mentioned that a little while ago. There's improper handling of crime scenes and there's media scandals of unethical reporting. The conspiracy theories of the truth movement um, uh, allow me to pick a safe example of uh, seeming discontinuities in logic for the official stories. Now, for all those five bullet points I gave you, I'm going to be giving you some safe examples. I'm going to use the loss of President John F. Kennedy to illustrate this. The, the loss of our president back then affected my family a lot because, well, we had big plans that weekend. And those plans were ruined when the president was shot on that Friday. Trust me, we're only going to look at a tiny aspect of this, but it's safe to talk about this because it was so long ago. The overwhelming vast majority of Americans believe there was some kind of conspiracy involved. But the official story is that this guy on the right of your screen did it. Lee Harvey Oswald was accused of shooting the president. He is described in the official story as a lone nut killer. This one crazy guy running around, he had a rifle, and laid laid in wait for the president to shoot him. Now, here's the question the conspiracy guys ask. They say, hey, if this man acted alone as a lone nut killer, why are the official archives sealed for security reasons? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Because if it's just one guy out there with no connections to anybody, why would you seal up the records about him for security reasons? This gets back to Yahshua's rule about coming into the light. Well, some of these conspiracy theories about this is absolutely preposterous. I, I mean, I'm going to tell you, one of the, the craziest one I heard is that the president arranged for his own assassination. I mean, that was the wildest one out there. But some of these theories have merit and carry weight. When the officials and the institutions we count on break the rules or hold back information... They create fertile ground for speculation, don't they? The 9-11 attack. Now, I'm talking about the scene of the 9-11 attack. It was rapidly cleaned up, and the material was recycled for scrap. Observers and researchers wonder, well, golly, a real crime scene would be slowly and forensically analyzed. So we understood every aspect of that. But the place was just cleaned up as soon as possible, and important pieces of evidence... Were forever removed. This kind of thing—you break the protocol of crime scene handling. These are rules already in place. They know—they know what the boundaries are. But when they violate their own boundaries, you say, "Well, wait a minute. Why? Why, why did you have to? Why, why so fast?" And this creates a fertile ground for speculations, doesn't it? This is one that. Um, Really important. Our dear, uh, our dear brother in Florida, that doctor friend, he uh, brought this to my attention years ago. To prepare this material, I went back into the history and I found out this is a, a scandal involving Nestle products for uh, newborn babies. And this is an example of big-name players going unpunished. The 1970s were rocked by the scandalous and aggressive marketing of baby formula by Nestle. And uh, I give the the link for my information down there that aggregated lots of this for you. I'm going to tell you essentially what they did. They went to poor undeveloped countries, gave free samples of this nursing formula to newborn moms. And they got hooked on it and their own breast milk dried up. Now they gotta buy the product forever. Now, here's some bullet items. It's a, it's a massive story. Uh, Nestle saleswomen dressed as nurses counseled mothers about formula benefits. They'd hang around the hospitals, go in the hospitals, they'd hang around at the exits of the hospitals, they'd scour the neighborhood like a dragnet looking for diapers hanging from clotheslines. Any leads they could to go in there like a nurse and say, we really recommend this stuff. Here's free samples. Mothers lower the formula's nutritional value by watering it down. You see, once they got hooked on it, they couldn't afford a whole lot. Remember, they're no longer capable of bringing forth the milk themselves. They're hooked on this product, so they water it down. Babies in developing countries got sick from contaminated water. Nestle hooked mothers and babies through free samples. Formula companies made mothers doubt their own caretaking abilities. Let me inject some scripture here. Psalm 22, verse 9. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. You know, that relationship between a mother and baby is absolutely sacred. I was galled when I heard this story in the 1980s, and I was even more calcified when I got into these details to prepare this material. Western culture of the 70s bombarded women with marketing marketing for these products as opposed to Yahweh-ordained breastfeeding. Companies bribe clinics and hospitals with free products and financial benefits. Can it get any worse? A worldwide boycott of Nestle started in 1977 and lasted until 1984. The boycott renewed in the late 1980s and is ongoing. No one's been brought to court. Nobody's been fined. No action. Nothing. Nothing. This is illegal, unethical, immoral. But they just, just go on their way. And it's safe to talk about a thing like this. This was a concentrated effort. We see similar things with the tobacco companies trying so hard, so very hard to resist any release of data that revealed the dangers of cigarette smoking. I have reason to believe that some of you in the sound of my voice are still dealing with cigarettes. Are you glad that you started smoking? Any of you youth who are thinking of smoking, I don't know any adult who says, boy, I'm glad I lit up when I was a kid. I don't know anybody who says that. They all regret it bitterly. And you'll come to hate yourself. If you're still dealing with those stupid sticks, um, Yahweh has deliverance for you, but you've got to fight it like it's your mortal enemy. Here's an example of uh, violations in procedure for chain of custody for evidence. This is in the O.J. Simpson trial. What a catastrophe. The crime lab did not routinely document its handling of the evidence. Stuff was just passed around. And I don't know if O.J. Simpson is guilty or not. I really don't. I have no opinion on the matter. I really don't. But no jury could find him guilty in in a, uh, a criminal trial because the evidence was never documented in its handling. During the Simpson trial, there was a great deal of evidence that prosecution sought to produce at the trial. However, the source of that evidence was recorded and could not be explained. These errors led to theories of a frame-up. You see, again, how when the authorities and the institutions don't follow their own protocols, then at least questions open, doesn't it? And there's theories in there, conspiracy theories. I don't have images. Images of what I'm going to describe are very hard to find now, but when it came out in 1993, there are plenty of images. There was talk that a particular model of uh, a pickup truck from GM was prone to explode in collisions. So NBC, in 19, uh, sometime before 1993, they, uh, they staged a crash. They sent a vehicle into this pickup truck, under investigation, and kaboom, it exploded. And um, people analyzed that video, and they saw smoke before the vehicle hit in this staged thing. I think they did it in a desert setting. So they said, where did that smoke come from under the vehicle before? Well, it turned out it was preloaded with incendiary devices. The whole stupid thing was rigged. And boy, uh, NBC was really taken to the rack for this one. Um, they denied it, and then finally it came out. Here are some of the headlines I you can find if you look it up. The the TV show was called Dateline. They one headline said Dateline's disaster. NBC and General Milders feud over a staged car accident in February 8, 1993. Here's another a deadline. GM sues NBC for defamation over exploding gas tanks. And another funny headline: NBC go boom. Uh, I thought that was kind of cute. Well, NBC um, has been uh, in other noteworthy scandals in the news. But to give you uh, evidence of malfeasance in the news media, I got to go far back in time and talk about something that's not controversial, because I can't have anybody coming to me later and saying, "Oh, you were partial. Uh, You're a partisan." If you have any doubts about the ill intent of the media, I'm going to come back to the O.J. Simpson case. At the same time that this case was, uh, was um, red hot, Time and Newsweek issued similar magazine covers. And you see how the one on your left was manipulated to make him look sinister, evil? like He almost looked like a monster coming out of a dark shadow. I don't know if this guy's innocent or guilty. But I know these guys on the left are guilty of manipulating the facts for effect. I don't know if I'll ever get over that. You see, they can do that to you or me. They can can take you and I and put us in a bad light. Talk a little bit about media scandals, also known as the fake news. The scribes of old kept official records and wrote contracts. The ancient pharaohs were known to have the records of previous pharaohs manipulated, changed, or removed. The Bible mentions the lying pen of the scribe. Some of Yahshua's bitterest encounters came from the scribes. If you do a review of newspaper copy from the 1800s, it'll show that biased reporting is an old problem. Uh, You can think what you want about Abe Lincoln. I'm I'm very much aware of the issues. But believe me, I am. I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing sometimes, but I I do strive to find all sides of a story. They were extraordinarily brutal in newspaper copy in the 1800s. They were utterly vicious with Abe Lincoln. In their eyes, he could do nothing right. Now, this is another image here from uh, Pexel's. So where do these conspiracy theories of the truth movement come from? Again, to summarize, seeming discontinuities in logic for the official stories, violations in procedure for chain of custody for evidence, big-name players go unpunished, improper handling of crime scenes, and media scandals of, of unethical reporting. What's your truth movement? Where is the truth? How do you get the facts? So many people, um, I have reason to believe we're all guilty of some of this distortion stuff. I have evidence that this is something that affects us all. We're going to do a focused study of a modern area of inquiry. We are compelled to approach it biblically. Now, I covered some of this in a previous sermon, but I'm going to take it farther and deeper. I'm going to talk about the topic of the cops versus us. Big area of research and inquiry out there. Cut the, is the cops versus us a, a good way to look at this? Well, that's the debate that's put on the table. When people see irregularities on police business, they start to fashion theories about why that happens. Is there a systemic problem? By the way, I never heard the word systemic up until now. I used to say systematic. So, you know, that's another word you've got to look up because it's been injected into the national dialogue. I'm going to do some full disclosure here. I'm going to take some water. I'm going to need it. I'm going to take a look at the guy on the left in the screen. There's an interesting blend there of features. In one way, his face has a hardened look to it, like he's had hard times. But there's a softness in his eyes that's unmistakable. So in a spirit of full disclosure, I'm going to tell you about this man because he plays a role in my outlook on these things. This photo is from the Chicago Tribune, July 1st, 1957. I was just a little boy then. He was raised in a boy's home. He had no daddy. He was best buddies with my beloved Uncle Kenny, who was also an orphan. Uncle Kenny was the kid brother of my mom. Now, My mom and Uncle Kenny... All those siblings, they lost their parents in a drowning accident 17 years prior to this. And that's very hard to get over. My mom never got over that. My mother fell in love with the name Michael as a little girl. She saw a picture of Michael the Archangel on the wall in school. She went to a Catholic school. She said, "Oh, I'm going to name my son Michael, you know, and all that kind of stuff. She just loved the name Michael. Well, this fellow's name is Michael, too. And when Uncle Kenny brought him to my sister, she absolutely fell in love with this boy like it was another little brother. She utterly cherished Mike and also his lovely wife, Judy. It's so wonderful to see love like that between unrelated people across a whole generation like that. Because Uncle Kenny was very young compared to Mom. His name was Michael Lukaszewski. And he picked up a guy who was on disorderly conduct charges. That's all, disorderly conduct. Today they'd say, hey, that's not a violent crime. Disorderly conduct. He sat down at his desk to write up the paperwork. And the criminal, Mike dropped his guard. He was a policeman. And he was writing the paperwork at the desk... And this criminal pulled Mike's gun out and shot him dead right there. And it was a it was, it was a, a, a gun battle, a scuffle in the police department. Mike was such a good guy. Um, Mom told me that the gun he sometimes brought with him after work made her nervous. He'd say, oh, Lou, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And he pulled fold up his holster and his belt and... Put it on a shelf in the distance so mom would not be nervous. You yeah, know, when Mike got married, there was a lot of celebration there. But when Mike, the cop, was shot dead like that, they say that the line of cars for his funeral was longer than any he had seen in that time. The whole city was like in mourning for Mike. I don't have a lick of sympathy. For any suspect who refuses to obey police orders, you can beat me up in the parking lot if you think I gotta have some sense knocked into me, but it won't work. The loss of Mike. I have evidence that my mother was never the same. I have no regard at all for these suspects. We're told to put their hands up and stand still. Sometimes you see them play games. They move their arms, they won't put their hands up, or they shimmy like they're going to go toward their car, maybe grab a weapon. If the policeman drops his guard, somebody's going to go home to his wife and kids and say, you don't have a daddy anymore. That's where my heart starts on this. Yahshua, we're members of a kingdom. Our king tells us, obey the cop. Obey the man. Do extra. Go along with him. Make it clear that you are no risk to him. He wants you to go one mile, go with him too. That's where I come into this. Yahweh's word says that guys like Mike are there to protect us and to strike fear into the heart of the evildoers. Just like within the last week or so, there was an ambush scene. Policeman dropped his guard. They they got two guys out of a car. There was a third one in there they didn't know about. There was a baby and a lady in there. Cop dropped his guard, opened the back door, and there was a suspect in there with a guard just for a minute. Firing away. Policeman dropped his guard just for a minute. Well, no police died. They did get nicked with some bullets. But when they got that guy on the ground, and he had had so many... uh, Uh, felonies against him, violent crimes. I don't know what he was doing on the street. I'd like you to see something here from this article. I went back to the Tribune archives to get this out. The prisoner, Laverne Jameson, was shot five times in that police scuffle. Now, today when we see the police shooting multiple times into a suspect, we think, oh, they're mean, they're cruel, they should have just shot him in the leg or something. No, when these guys dedicate their heart to violence, you've got to totally subdue them. Yeah, back in 1957, they were pouring multiple bullets into a suspect. In the movies, it takes one shot to kill somebody right away. What happens with one bullet typically is they're they're slowed down, but they're st- they still got the gun and they're still able to shoot. Okay, that's my starting point, in a spirit of full disclosure. But I have knowledge of both sides. I lived in mixed race neighborhoods in my formative years. And I have close friends, minorities, who have painfully recounted their mistreatment by the police simply because they were minorities. Yeah, that goes on too, doesn't it? It sure does. I cannot deny the testimony of my dear friends who have told me these things. Some of them are in the covenant. Now the Torah says, Love you therefore the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. A minority is a, is a stranger in your, in your midst. I guess I have a certain sensitivity to that too because I was moved around a lot as a kid and I was always the new kid on the block. I know what it is to be a stranger. As strongly as I feel about losing Mike and uh, the effect it had on my poor mom, I must acknowledge that there are bad cops out there. John the Baptist was a terrific preacher, so good that Herod would bring him out just to hear him talk. Mark 6.20 says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. You know, uh, John must have been a honey of a preacher. The last of the Old Testament prophets, the first of the New Testament prophets. Imagine uh, a guy like Herod taking the prophet out just to hear him preach, just so he'd feel better. It kind of reminds me of David playing the harp for Saul. Shall we to calm down? Because when when you're in the presence of a real holy man, you feel it, you know it. Well they had no police back then in John's time. The Roman soldiers were the cops, and even they respected John the Baptizer. In Luke three fourteen it says, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. I'm going to highlight that. Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. I sure wish that was above the entry of every police department in America. I'm going to highlight the last one. Be content with your wages. For years, I thought that was a labor wage dispute, as though the cops wanted more money. That's not what that's about. It's about um, a thing today called civil asset seizure or civil asset forfeiture. Today, in some jurisdictions around the nation, the police can take your money and your possessions and keep it until you prove you got it legally. For example, if you have an extraordinary amount of cash in the backseat of your car, they'll assume you're a criminal, they'll seize it, and they won't give it to you until you can prove that you got it legally. Now, it's not everywhere, but it's in juris- various jurisdictions around the nation. On this legal doctrine that they've manufactured, it's utterly unconstitutional, it sounds like guilty till proven innocent, doesn't it? On this basis, they have taken homes, boats, jewelry, other, other possessions. This is a very recent article. This, is, uh, th- this came out uh, on September 21st. Well, the headline here on this news item is something went sideways when the FBI confiscated the contents of safe deposit boxes in an L.A. bank. And I think it was actually Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills is part of Los Angeles. Well, what they did is they got a warrant. The FBI got a warrant to access selected safety deposit boxes. The judge told them, you have limits on what you can do, what you can touch, and what you can check. And don't go outside those limits. Well, as soon as they ran out of court with their search warrant, they went right to the safe. uh, it was a uh, safety deposit box service, and they ripped open everything. They ripped everything open. And they just hoarded the cash, the jewelry, life savings, other things. And they said, well, we smelled marijuana there, so we assumed it was all criminal stuff. And so this article and others released recently talk about people's efforts to get their money back. Life-saving. Some people just prefer to put the cash in a box. Well, in the case of John the Baptist, when he says, um, be content with your wages, he's talking about this business where if you're in a third authority, you might be tempted to covet somebody else's stuff, especially if you're a cop. Civil asset seizure occurred at Calvary when they took Yahshua's excellent garment and gambled for it. That garment should have been presented to his family. Now, I know I talked about this some last time, but I'm going to take it to a different place for you. First, on the way, I want to point out, that was Yahshua's Passover suit. Now, that garment was said to have no seam in it. It was a single weave all the way around. That was his Passover suit. That was what he wore when he instituted the New Covenant, I didn't realize that too recently. That wasn't just like some robe or thing, uh, or some tunic, it was his Passover suit. This is the thing he took off when he washed washed the feet of his disciples. Cops, is it really us versus them? Does it have to be that way? While we're at Calvary, we're going to look at something else that happened. This is the other side of the story. This is the missing ingredient in every debate, every controversy that I know of. The thief at Calvary has a story to tell. There's two men executed with Yahshua and they harass him. They mock him. Then one of them seems to have a change of heart. Now, commentators have wondered when this transition occurs, because like so many things in the evangelists, you've got to put it together to get a composite story. I saw one uh, source online thought maybe this guy had a change of heart when he turned around and saw that it said king of the Jews uh, uh, above the gallows. But anyway, this guy had a change of heart, and his remarks revealed the missing ingredient in our great national debate and in our biblical outlook. I'm going to read here Luke 23, verse 39 to 43. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Messiah, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear Elohim, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Yahshua, Master, remember me, when thou comest into thy kingdom, and Yahshua said unto him, Verily I say unto you, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, I know we've we've gone on quite a journey here, trying to make the visuals interesting, make the topics thought provoking, but I beg you to try to remember this thief at Calvary who repented. Everything we need to know is right there, pertinent to today's topic. Honesty in the inward parts. That's the missing ingredient everywhere I look. It got this thief, eternal life, as a result. Evildoers rarely confess their faults, and that stubbornness is often what gets them into power. You ever notice how hard it is for people in leadership to apologize? Hmm? Everyone from the petty shoplifter to the corrupt politician, all of them struggle with this necessity. To have honesty in the inward parts. I want to thank some of you I've had conversations with prior to getting this material together. Even if uh, the details of our conversation don't wind up in my slides, I guarantee you our conversations help me enormously to zero in on this. Because I've wondered, what is the barrier between me and truth? What's the barrier between me and getting to the truth? And there are a lot of barriers, the self, pride, all that But honesty in the inward parts will crack that nut every time. But boy, is it hard. If you've kept the fast of atonement properly, then you've already got a good start. The thief at Calvary, finally being honest in the inward parts, lays out a framework for our individual redemption. Acknowledging yourself as a sinner, let's get real. You hear me, the people in the outreach, those watching now, if it's on a broadcast, every one of us is a wretched sinner and it just won't stop. And you've got to keep pressure on yourself. Every one of us is a wretched sinner, and we better step up and get with Yah's truth movement. Well, the thief at Calvary didn't have much choice, did he? But he acknowledged himself as a sinner. He acknowledged he deserved what he got. How many of us have that kind of courage? Recognizing Yahshua's innocence, That's big. And accepting Yahshua as a king with a kingdom. That's plenty to build on. Okay, now if we have more time, I mean the guy's being executed. If he had a stay of execution, there'd be a lot more going on there. Discipleship, baptism, laying on of hands. But this is the hard stuff. Right here. Honesty in the inward parts. I have viewed numerous videos of shoplifters being apprehended. I have seen only one apologize on the spot. It's very troubling. I went out of my way to carve out time to do this. None of them, except this one case, said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. They put up a fight, they scuffle. It's, it's really something. Where is the sincere repentance of these suspects when the police apprehend them? There's a plague right now of people being apprehended by the cops, It's fashionable, it's chic to just give them a hard time. Disciples of Yahshua are not allowed to do that. I know some of you are patriots, you know, you're into that patriot stuff, you want to blow the horn and pound the drum about your constitutional rights, but when I came out of the waters of baptism, I became the member of a different kingdom, a higher kingdom, more authority kingdom. Everybody remembers the painful video of that man suffering in uh, Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Which uh, uh, a video emerged months later of a couple being pulled over. And it was, I forget the details and it's not important for what I, the point I wanna make. The, the police had a legitimate reason to pull them over and they just gave the cops a hard time on what was a really simple matter. Wouldn't answer questions, wouldn't give a, a straight answer, so the policeman took them out of the car, and this one lady, she had her hands in handcuffs, up straight upright, hale and hearty, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs, I can't breathe! I can't breathe! But, I mean, the volume of, of her voice, you could tell, of course she could breathe, you know. It was, it's just a come on. She was trying to mimic the terrible experience of that man who suffered in, in Minneapolis. Well, anyway, we have little children who sometimes behave that way, don't we? Um, Where's the sincere repentance of these suspects? The guy who shot my mom's young friend, Mike, in in the head, Uh, there's no repentance there. He was only picked up on disorderly conduct charges. And then you find out he's violent. When men and women have honesty in the inward parts, They'll hang their heads if they've done wrong and say, officer, you got me. I'm wrong. And people who have been through that experience tell you, if you tell the traffic cop, I was going fast, officer. I'm sorry. I plead guilty as charged. The cops, not always, but usually go easy on them or let them go. It's a refreshing breath of clean air to have... A suspect say, I'll go with you. Yahshua did it, and he was an innocent man. He went with the man. He went with the man with the sword. What about you? What areas of your life are you defensive? Not being honest with yourself? I'm going to quote five passages um, five here? I talk about honesty in the inward parts. This is Yahshua's truth movement. Psalm 15. Yahweh, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Psalm 51, verse 5 to 6. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of Yahweh? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Romans twelve two, that came up in Elder Allen's sermon. And I, I thought, oh, I got to include this. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of Elohim. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see Elohim. That's where the action is. Imagine how many problems would just go away if everyone was honest in the inward parts. In my experience, observation, and research, we are all plagued all our lives with silly motives, all of us, both young and old. I'll give you an example on occasion, feel led to pray for the nation. How about you to pray for this country? Why do I pray for the nation? Is it to win souls for the kingdom? It ought to be. Is it to see an end of the suffering caused by sin? There's plenty of it. That's a good motive, too. Or is there perhaps a, a, a sinister motive in there to get back to the good old days?-hmm. Just let me have my fun, my entertainment, my cold beer at the ball game. That's what I'm really praying for. See this business of motives? Well, I repented of this. I'll leave it to Yahweh whether I can have a cold beer at the ball game again someday. But uh, to win souls for the kingdom, to see an end of suffering caused by sin, those are good reasons to pray for the nation. I am going to get to some specific cases of things I've dealt with or I've seen other people deal with. Some of this is going to challenge you. I told you you're going to be challenged. You came a long way. Human relations, let me back up. Are you rushing people who deserve your time and attention? Are you brushing people off? Are you blowing people off and they need your time and attention? Maybe they don't measure up in your eyes. Maybe they don't measure up in some way. As I look across the, the whole scene, the average person out there is carrying baggage, pain, heartache, disappointments that you don't see. And you never know when kindness to someone who's awkward or lacking in social graces, you never know when they might just be the ticket to get them through another day. Human relations right now are at an all-time low. And customer service is sinking even lower. You find this in the world of commerce. There are some customer service desks where the people are graded to how many customers they can handle in an hour. Can you imagine what kind of service you get in that situation? When I'm asked to do surveys, and I'm getting kind of tired of it, but when I'm asked to do these surveys, I never give a low mark to a customer service agent because I know now that they're being overworked and underpaid. I'll give the individual high marks, but I'll give the system low marks. Other people in your life to whom you are responsible but you are avoiding them because you just don't want to be bothered or maybe they don't fit in as you see it? Adolf Hitler was careful to never have an open discussion with anybody about a controversial topic because he did not want to be challenged openly on his decisions. Do you control people around you with emotional outbursts and periods of illness? Now, sometimes I joke around. Somebody might you know, break an arm or sprain a ankle. I'll say, "Hey, milk it for all the sympathy you can get." You know, I'm just teasing them. But, um, but you, you know, if you're activating the dark side of your personality, you'll use these things to control people. Here's a very hard one. For me, this is a a long process. Are you empowering the wicked through your choices, your purse, and your participation? Ezekiel 13, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. In what ways do we strengthen the hand of the wicked? That in this commercial environment, highly commercialized environment, that's a big question. And it's hard to do this stuff overnight, and I know that. But they're like saints who are looking to... Living more closer to the land. They just don't want to be part of this. Elder Don Esposito's book, The Gates of Hell, I think, with the Gates of Sheol, shall not prevail against it, something like that. He recounts historically in the Dark Ages certain Christians who refused to get involved in the business world. There was just too much corruption. And the book of Revelation makes those risks so clear. How about the things you are running from, the painful conversations that must be cleared, the overdue apology? Those very things you fear are the key to finding honesty in the inward parts. Yes, Yahweh likes openness. Uh, But parenthetically, let's avoid surprise conversations done merely to make you feel good. I've mentioned this before, but I think on occasion it's got to be brought up again. You don't go to somebody and start a conversation on an apologetic note and you're really doing it to make yourself feel good. Ask yourself what your motives are there. It's okay to say, I'm convicted and I'd like to get this off my chest. But, for example, it would be utterly stupid for someone to go to another person, let's say a boy, to go to a girl and say, I repent of lusting after you. Okay? That's ridiculous. Because There's a hidden motive there to like to kindle a relationship that is utterly reckless. So yeah, you want to be honest. In this business of authenticity, which was an outgrowth of, uh, let's say, an atheistic kind of a worldview, this quest to be authentic can go too far. I'm going to just state some bullet points. We're almost done. Could I ask, when did I begin? Anybody know? No, nobody knows. Okay, you all. T- oh, you're all so engrossed. You've lost track of the target of time, right? Corrupt cops will never reform the BLM antifa mobs. Everybody, come on. Everybody knows Black Lives Matter. This is obvious. But BLM antifa mobs will never reform the corrupt cops either. Rioting looters won't reform anybody. Corrupt politicians have no answers, and they never will. A frenzied mob on Capitol Hill is not a spirit-filled answer. Lying journalists will not reform anyone. Foul-mouthed activists and pundits will not succeed, especially in light of James 3. As soon as I hear some expert shooting his mouth off with profanity, I know he doesn't have the answers. Let's be careful, by the way. If you play the radio or a video stream or something in the sanctuary, you better be careful. of Because we've heard nice things in this sanctuary. They always has given us evidence of his presence here. Joshua promises we will be empowered to reform others only after cleaning up our own life. Now, he doesn't guarantee you'll be successful in reforming others because they have hardness of heart they have to deal with. But the empowerment from heaven's not going to come until we're clean. I saw in the ladies' room, I, had to do, I, I was dusting cobwebs before the feast. I saw in the ladies' room at the activity building, it says above the sink, wash your hands and clean your hearts, you sinners. How come we don't have one like that in the men's room? <laughs> okay, I'm going to think about the practical realm. Think long term. You know, if you're activist-minded, you want to get active. Okay, we'll talk about the practical and then the spiritual. In the practical realm, if you want to be a part of fixing the society, and seek a position on the local school board, the library board, the town council, or the county board. These are choke points where decisions are made without us looking. And uh, it'll take a while to get in there and to get right attitudes there. Let's be honest about what's going on. The churches have been infiltrated. The government's been infiltrated by practicing sinners, Any any, uh, seasoned disciple of Yahshua knows the difference between sinning and practicing sin. Practicing sin is where you dial it in and you schedule it and it's part of your life. If you happen to sin on this side of Jordan, we, we have provision at Calvary for that. But you don't like it. You fight it. You put up the fight of a life. We have people in important positions in these institutions practicing sinners, making decisions for you and your kids you want to get active in the practical realm, get on the school board, the library board. That's a big one, actually. Town council, the county board. But to do that, you have to develop a reputation in your community through involvement with local causes. So it takes time and energy. Remember what they told the prophet Samuel? We want a king to fight our battles for us. Isn't that what we want? We want to just go to a polling place, check off a box, or put an X in it, sorry, put an X in that box. You think, okay, that dude who talked to such a good game in the campaign, he's going to fight my battles for me. It's rare that you find a candidate that lives up to that. You'll learn to develop a ready, succinct answer for expected issues if you get involved locally. Remember, Yahshua was a master of the soundbite. How many times did he take care of people with just a sentence or two? And learn from your defeats, failures, and mistakes. Again, think long-term if you want to get active in the practical sense. Instead of practicing sinners making the big decisions for your community, it'll be the righteous. And then in the spiritual realm, either start evangelizing or else really pray hard or pray for us who are evangelizing. I think evangelization can be the kind that you need out there where you engage people direct. Uh, The need for that is very great. And uh, I'm delighted to see movement in that direction. Either get involved or pray, pray for us, because that's how that stuff works. Well, I think I've taken enough of your time. Um, I think i put you through enough. You've been so generous with your attention. I, didn't, I don't think I've seen anybody fall asleep. That was, that, that was wonderful. <laughs> Brother Javon, sorry to end so abruptly, but that really is it. Thank you so much for sharing this feast with me. Hallelujah.